Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. From the creators of Cold Case Files and PD Stories comes the next great true crime podcast, I Survived. Every week, I Survived presents chilling first-person accounts from people who overcame deadly situations, allowing the survivors to describe the events as they unfolded and how they made it out alive. If you love true crime, you're going to love I Survived. Be sure to sp- subscribe on Spotify, Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast apps so you can get new episodes every week. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and this is certainly a strange and challenging week for many of us, including, you know, I guess in the podcast space, as, as less important as that is. Uh, my guest is Tim Bontemps of ESPN, and the first part of the podcast is really on COVID-19 and, and the stoppage in the NBA, how how that happened, kind of some of the logistics surrounding Wednesday, and also where this might be going. And, and we talked a little bit about the, the ramifications and the timelines a little bit, as, as much as we know right now, which is certainly not everything. And then the second half of the podcast, something I really wanted to do, was we did, talked about what we would have done probably for the full hour or so if this were quote-unquote normal circumstances. So we talked about the dominant storylines in the league, Jason Tatum, the Bucks' dominance, and then some of the changing dynamics with young players moving forward. And so I thought that would be a nice a nice kind of change of pace. It was something Tim and I really did enjoy. This episode is brought to you by BetOnline. You can go to betonline.ag and use the Podcast One promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. Episode's a little bit under an hour. Lots of good stuff here. I really enjoyed talking with Tim, and I thought it was thought it was good to kind of get some of those thoughts on the league out there now. So I hope you enjoy that part as well. Thanks so much for coming on. Always happy to talk to you, Danny, albeit uh, this is a lot more somber circumstances than usual, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it is. And I think... There are, there are a lot of different directions to go, and we definitely won't go in all of them. But I, th- I think the place to start with this is we can walk through walk through Wednesday. I mean, you and I – well, I'll start here, actually. You and I were planning on doing this podcast on Wednesday, I think, morning, early afternoon. And we agreed – you initiated, but we agreed – that we should push it back because you never know if something like something might be happening. Like it looked like things might be on the precipice, and I don't think either of us envisioned that things would move as quickly as they did, and due to the necessity reasons that they did. I would actually, I'm actually going to disagree with you a little bit. Part of the reason that I wanted to wait was um, I wasn't sure what was going to happen, and now I didn't think that there was necessarily going to be a player that would test positive on Wednesday, and that the league and basically the rest of sports would shut down within 48 hours as a result. But um, 
I wasn't sure what the outcome of these talks with the Board of Governors were going to be. Um, I thought there was a chance that this was going to get shut down um, after them, and I wanted to wait and see. But to your point, it, it would have been foolish of anybody to um, think they would have been able to map out exactly what happened with that Jazz Thunder game and kind of the drama that went on You know, with things looking like the game was about to be played and then you know, the, the Thunder team doctor run, rushing out and saying, hey, listen, we got to wait. And, you know, them doing the halftime show before the game was supposed to start and just the general confusion of all of that happening and watching it in real time on Twitter uh, and, you know, talking to people in the building and trying to report stuff. I mean, it was just a really crazy um, it was just a really crazy circumstance. But, you know, from my perspective, I was just waiting for somebody in the NBA universe to test positive for this. And I knew that the moment they did, everything was going to stop. And, you know, it just so happened that that happened Wednesday night. Right. And there was this kind of sense, I mean, as I was, you know, consuming a lot of reporting well outside of our purview, and you, you got that sense of like the un- amount of untested cases. And I had become more more confident over the previous couple days, like beginning of this week feels like a lifetime ago, that we were going to get into cancellations at some point, and that point might be pretty soon. And it, it was surprising to me that I, I actually took a couple days longer than I expected to go to to do the empty arena step, which ended up never happening. And it is this real challenge. I mean, you're having a lot of different people involved in the decision, and things are also moving incredibly quickly. And something that, I mean, we've seen multiple people talk about recently is also the complicated economic interests. And you have all these... You have people that are cognizant of, of what is affecting both in the benevolent way of all the uh, the, the workers who live paycheck to paycheck who were who were tied in with these arenas, but also the you know, the profit revenue part of this. And, and, and so I think that it was always going to be a challenge to kind of reconcile all those things. And one, I guess you could call it a silver lining. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even use the term that rosy for it with the positive test was that it clarified and made all of this stuff move as quickly as it needed to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we could end up looking back on the situation and Rudy Gobert really um, leading to a lot of lives saved and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people not getting affected. Right. Um, Even just having uh, games played in front of empty stands, right. You still have hundreds of people at the arena then trying to get those games on and, you know, PR staffs, media people and, well, and travel. players and try, right. You're traveling, right. I mean, there's just, there's just a lot of stuff going on and a lot of people moving around and, um, you know, people to, you know, the NCAA tournament, right. I mean, that's, that's 10, you know, it's thousands of people, even if you're not having fans involved again, it's thousands of people moving around and interacting with each other. Right. So, um, you know, I think the fact that this happened and within 24 hours, everything else stopped. Um, you know, I do think that that could end up leading to, uh, you know, a, a significant difference in trying to limit the the spread of this virus, which, you know, is obviously the number one thing right now to try to because, you know, you look around the, the world and you see it what's happening in Spain and Italy and, um, you know, some of these other countries. And, you know, I keep hearing these infectious disease experts saying we're you know, maybe nine or 10 days behind those countries in terms of the arc of the disease of the, the virus here. And, you know, anything that anything that happens that hopefully prevents any kind of a overflowing of the hospitals that we have and our, and, you know, kind of overloading of our healthcare system is a win. So, I mean, look, what I, what I love to be, uh, you know, on my way home today from Celtics Bucks and, 
you know, being able to go, I think the Celtics are playing the Wizards tonight. Would I love to be able to go to that game? Yeah. Like, would I love to be able to keep doing my job the way I was before? Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is this is uncharted territory for all of us. And I think that, you know, anything that can help kind of show this, the seriousness of this thing and allow for everybody to, you know, kind of hunker down and hopefully prevent this thing from spreading as far as it can is um, is something I think we'll hopefully look back on in a positive light down the road. Right. And from what I understand, and obviously there are far greater experts than the two of us on, on this topic. I mean, social no distancing, way, no social way. distancing, we, community. Everyone should listen to us. Yeah, of course. Social distancing, community spread are, are, are elements that a lot of the ways that you can, that you can help, that you can, that you can make things better, not only for yourself and the people you care about, but for the community at large, those, those are, lifestyle changes you know that's changing the changing the way you live your life changing the way you interact with other people and interact with the world around you and wednesday in the united states wednesday march 11th i think will end up being a pivotal day in that in that effort and there are a lot of other things that need to go right in order for for the for the curve to get flattened and that's the most important part of this but one of those elements was people becoming aware of how real this was and how prevalent it was and how serious it was and so a prominent NBA player the reigning defensive player of the year testing positive a much loved league going dark and now basically everything going dark and then Donovan Mitchell testing positive the next day those the, those and I mean Tom Hanks and everything else that makes it feel more real to people and you, you never, you know, you never want to make this necessary. But once you get to that point, best practices become extremely important. And it is sort of surreal to me that the NBA is very likely going to be a part of the the response and the way this story. You know, like I was, I spent part of part of Wednesday in the moment, which I I, I talked a little bit about with Nate yesterday. For me, is weird in the moment thinking this is going to be the craziest 30 for 30. You know, like we're, you're in that moment, but also not only just in the sports world, but in the larger world of like the history of this country, like the NBA played an important role. Yeah, no question. And and I think, look, I mean, you know, people, I've seen people since criticize the leagues for how they handled this stuff. And I, I think that's fair, but you know, at the end of the day, these are all businesses trying to make money, right? And the NCAA tournament's a billion dollar business. And the NBA is a multi-billion dollar business, right? So all these things were going to try to rumble along as best they could, even if it was um, hard to get the logic of it from a you know an overall health standpoint, right? And I think to your point, the fact that you know the combination of Tom Hanks getting this in the entertainment world and Rudy, Rudy Gobert testing positive in the way he did, having that game be postponed and all the chaos that went on with it, and you know it's it's not a coincidence that. 24 hours later, basically everything was canceled for the foreseeable future. And anything that wasn't basically has been today, um, Friday, right? So the fact that all that has snowballed the way it has, you know, I, I think it, it is, it is a moment that we are going to look back on is, you know, I think my old, my old shop, the New York post, uh, as it always does put it perfectly on the back page today when it said the day that sports stopped and, uh, you know, I think it's it, this is going to be a period for better or worse that you know, we're going to think back on for a long time because, you know, it's it's just not like anything we've ever experienced before. Right. And 
it's it's natural to kind of want to want to spray this forward. Uh, that's something John Hollinger and I did before the before everything was postponed, delayed. How whatever terminology we're using, we we basically how that happened was I was asked by editorial. I think John and I both were about kind of just how does this work? And so we were working on an informational piece, going through you know the different the you know trying to separating out the things that we knew and the things that we didn't know. And like, what could a reduction in revenue mean to the salary cap and and all that? And those, you know, to a certain extent, for probably a little while now, we're going to have to rely on understanding what we what we do know, what we can't know, and what we will have to wait on. Because th- as much as you know, it's fun to have salary cap projections and have all the type of stuff. I don't think anybody has all of that kind of information well enough. So we can we can guess and we can say this is what you're going to be looking for, but. It's going to take some time to figure all that out. No question. And, you know, for the same reason, Brian Winters and I wrote a big uh, FAQ on, you know, where we are and where we're going Wednesday night in the wake of all this happening, right, to try to help explain this stuff to people. Because, you know, I, I mean, you guys, you and John did a nice job laying that out from a financial side in that article you guys wrote. But, um, you know, I mean, we just don't know where this is headed, right? Like if there there's a scenario, as Adam Silver said Thursday night, where the NBA doesn't come back at all this year um that would obviously cost the league a lot of money would impact the salary cap would impact a lot of things um if the league comes back and plays in front of empty fan empty buildings that would cost a lot of money uh though less and would impact a lot of things uh if the league comes back and plays a shortened schedule that would impact a lot of things um it's just i mean what seems obvious is you know after the china stuff and all the other stuff that's gone on in this very strange nba season we've had um, you know, David Stern and Kobe Bryant passing and all the guys we've had injured in the league and the China stuff. And now this, I mean, this has really been a crazy season. Um, you know, there, what is, what does seem certain is that the league is going to take a pretty fi- big financial hit like a lot of these other leagues. And, but to your point, it's very hard today to sit here and go, well, this is going to lead to X, Y, and Z because we just don't know where this is headed. Right. Um, I mean, it's, it's certainly one thing if the NBA comes back in six or eight weeks. It's another thing if it comes back in six or eight months, right? And we just don't know. We just don't know what's going to happen with that. And when you consider some of the stuff that was on the table for this summer, whether it's you know Giannis Antetokounmpo deciding on a supermax or um, you know Anthony Davis's free agency, you had you know what was shaping up to be a really fascinating playoff uh, playoffs in the NBA. Um, it's really wild that we went from all of that to just having the entire sports world hit a pause button and just wait to see when we can hit play again. The timing is also going to be extremely important. You know, basically, like, I, I, it seems pretty clear that nothing's going to happen until it's safe for the players, everybody else involved, the fans and everything else, that um, that we're going to get there. And so a, a key question is just going to be, what point is that? And as you brought up, you know, Giannis's free agency, I mean, the draft is, is something else because – I know there are people saying, like, hey, we already have film on all these guys, but there are elements like the Combine that are generally typically important, and it will... It's at this point, that's the only... At this point, that's the only thing that's left not canceled, the Combine. The Hoop Summit's been canceled. The All-McDonald's... Yep. I mean, McDonald's All-American's not this draft, but McDonald's game's been canceled. The Jordan brand class has been canceled. I mean, there's a lot of... There's a lot that goes into the pre-draft process, typically, and, you know, there's a pretty good chance that all of it isn't going to happen this year which will throw things into a much different uh, light than they usually are too. And we're, one of the, the key elements of this is also going to be whether 
the sides have any interest in using this as the impetus to change things about the calendar. I mean, it, it is a it is a natural point to do so should everybody want to. But the the challenge of that always has been that you need a bunch of you know it's kind of like it's kind of like launching from a submarine. You need a bunch of different thing entities to turn their keys the same direction at the same time. And there are no guarantees. You know, I know there are lots of fans and and their media members too that would love to see the season start on Christmas Day. And for ratings purposes, that might be better. But there are also people involved in this that would perf- that love the off season at the timing that it is and en- and enjoy the structure of it. And the point that I will caution everybody on is that when when something is the status quo, and I'm not not justifying it and not saying it's that it's right, it's often that way because. Important people wanted it that way, and in order to change that, especially in this specific context of changing the changing around the structure of the season, they all need to agree. Because if they don't agree, then things go back to the way they were. Yeah, I mean, one week ago today, uh, which feels like about a hundred years ago, I was at the Sloan Conference in Boston, and my colleague Kevin Artovitz had a panel where uh, Steve Coonan, the president of the Hawks, talked about pushing back. Um, the start of the season till mid-December and having it go through August. And uh, a lot of our friends in the media and a lot of other people got very upset about this idea because, to your point, they like having the summer off uh, for many reasons, right? Like being able to go on vacation with their kids, like being able to go spend time outside in the nice weather. Um, But this could lead to a scenario where a lot of things change. And I thought it was very interesting to hear Mark Cuban uh, on my network this week uh, echo some of the things that Steve Kuhn had said in terms of, like, to your point, the reason that uh, the schedule has been the way it has been for a long time and that the finals are in June is because the, uh, uh, the, the, the HUT number, which is for non-television people, the houses using television number, uh, tends to go way down in the summer, but uh, like the whole paradigm has kind of shifted in um, television now, right? Where you have Mad Men and some of these other shows that become huge hits in the summertime on AMC and these other networks. And uh, you know, maybe if let's say the NBA comes back and has the finals go until August, right? I mean, if the ratings are gangbusters for that, maybe that just leads to a future shift for the league, right? Where maybe it does start in December. Maybe it does end in late July. Um, it's it's hard to know where all this stuff is going to go right now or what's going to change or what's not going to change. But I think to your point, given the way this is playing out and the way it's shaking out, um, there are going to be opportunities here for different things to be tried than we've ever seen before. And, you know, it could be a situation where if it, you know, works out a certain way, the league could, um, the league could really benefit from that. Right. And I mean, one, it's a very kind of first world concern, concern there is that, Sky high ratings in, in like in August or whatever September NBA finals would be would be unreliable data because people would just be so thirsty for sports and it was relatively early that it would be non representative, and because the structure of lives could be very different this August than in future Augusts, but it will be you know potentially if that happens a piece of information that we don't yet that we don't yet have and another kind of interesting part of that 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 you can you know one of those like reasonable bites could differ is when there are fewer households but you also have less competition and so I, I know that there are people who are very cognizant of like the role that the NFL plays college football everything else like that and and also it gets into something I, I was talking about this a, a little bit in the piece with with John Hollinger about you know one of my big questions has long been 
how how is the how is the revenue pie for the NBA like how is it made like what what how big are each size of the piece and the NBA justifiably keeps a lot of that stuff close to the vest that that is their right they're not a publicly traded company and or anything like that and teams aren't either so I, I'm very interested in if this ends up shedding some light on those sorts of questions too yeah no I mean I, listen I, I think you know the uh, the phrase I, I'm probably messing it up a little bit but um, in each crisis is an opportunity comes to mind and I think you know just overall from this scenario as we try to figure out what is um, what what is happening and where this is going and what's next and how it's going to affect things. Um, you know, I do think we're going to see uh, the potential to really look at a lot of stuff and reexamine a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, that can be a good thing. Could be something that, you know, does lead to some positive changes. Maybe the schedule will get shorter. Maybe uh, the league's calendar will change. Uh, maybe the playoff structure will change. Um, you know, I mean, I, maybe there'll be a play-in tournament of some sort this year, right? Like, I mean, maybe they'll change. Yeah, maybe that. Like maybe that. that maybe they test that by the West eight seed. Maybe that's the way that this happens. Oh, or or even just both eight seeds. I mean, maybe they go. You know, maybe they maybe they do that this year, right? Like, maybe they say, "Look, we're this is obviously a totally wild scenario, but we're going to change things around and let's see how this goes." Right? Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I, I don't expect any of that to happen now, but like it's it's hard to know what's going to happen so um so yeah i mean i think right now anybody trying to declare when the league is going to come back or uh what it's going to look like or how the playoffs are going to work or when the season's going to start next year or any of this stuff um uh, i think the only thing that's accurate right now is that everything is on the table and it will just be really interesting to see uh, um where this all goes and, and where it all heads one other note on the kind of when it comes back part of this, and there's something that that John Hollinger brought up with me, and my head's been spinning on it for a little while now, which is the distinct possibility, though far from a certainty, that we get a cap spike in 2021. And the reason being there that some of where, where cap spikes come in is where there's an adjustment, then if there's a shortfall of money that was given to players, then basically that contributes and makes the spike higher. And so theoretically, that could happen in the 2020-21 season because if it's a full season, then we're going to get more revenue. And if the, if the owners – if it, or I mean they would likely drive this. If the cap is a little bit artificially low next season and so they're paying the players a little bit less and then it spikes. So, but what's so crazy about that is 2021 is in many ways before this. And I wrote a piece for, for The Athletic before all of this happened about how in some ways 2021 is the spiritual successor to 2016 because it's like all these really talented players hitting unrestricted free agency, Kevin Durant being the headliner and all that. It would be beyond insane for that to happen again, probably not to the extreme extent because I don't think that's happening again in the foreseeable future. But holy crap, would that be insane? It would be, but I, I also think that um, I also think that uh, after what happened in 2016, I would be – uh, fairly stunned if um, there isn't some sort of smoothing mechanism agreed to by the union and the league to um, to kind of make sure that things don't get out of whack either way. Um, you know, I think everybody learned from 2016 how it went, and uh, I, I, I don't anticipate there being um, anything like that this time around for, for all the reasons that we learned five years ago or four years ago, I guess, right? Um, but, you know, to your point, until there actually is a smoothing deal in place, there isn't one. And so we will continue to wait and see, uh, 
how that goes and what happens. But, you know, for all the for all the, the obvious immediate concern about everyone's health, um, there are some real enormous questions lingering down the road about the financial state of the league and where um, where things are headed and what's going to happen. And, you know, again, we we're in uncharted waters on all this stuff. So trying to know exactly where it's going and what it's going to be like is, um, you know, it's probably a fool's errand at this point. Absolutely. Lots more to talk about with Tim Bontemps, but first a message from Bet Online. Well, there's currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball. You might think that there's nothing to bet on, but you would be wrong. Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, from their online casino to poker and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Also, sports aren't totally done. Still mixed martial arts, esports, and many more. If you're inter- into entertainment, you can still bet on American Idol, elections, spelling bee, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. And be sure to use the promo code PODCAST1 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your full access wagering solution. I want to transition a little bit. I mean, you and I before the pod talked about kind of how to structure this, and obviously that's a challenge with a bigger, far bigger things happening right now than basketball, but basketball being involved in that. And what I wanted to do for the second half or whatever proportion this is, is a little bit of a, you know, moment in time of the kind of the podcast that you and I probably would have done if the season were still going and if and if these right. these force majeure events were were not in place and i mean there were some big storylines that i'm sure will get largely lost down the memory hole because they got superseded by important events and it just so happens that a lot of those are within your purview both being based in Boston but really focusing on the Eastern Conference. So I, I thought it would be worthwhile to kind of – I mean we have all this knowledge in our heads and we work through it to to get through some of that. Listen, man, I'm happy to talk about basketball. So let's talk about basketball. And the place I want to start, you, you, you mentioned early on that you're, that you're in Boston right now, is, is with the Celtics and this blossoming – and hopefully it would have continued for, for Jason Tatum. And wh- one of the most exciting – Things that happens as you know, NBA writers. This is something uh, Nate Duncan and I talked about uh, on the Friday morning edition of Dunked On about, like kind of what we love about the sport. And and one of the things that I brought up was just the development that comes out of nowhere. And with Tatum, it isn't out of nowhere. I mean, we've seen some of this before, but the idea that if he can be this dominant with with on ball stuff and his step back three was looking fantastic, then he becomes a fundamentally different player. And the Celtics' trajectory changes meaningfully too. As great as they as as they have been, and as consistently relevant as they have been, that is one of the like when a team needs to rely on internal improvement because the cake is largely baked. Those are the sorts of development that can change the arc. Yeah, no question about it. And I am very curious to see where Jason goes from here. I mean, the thing that was more like everybody's focused on the shooting, and the shooting is great, and like he had a really hot shooting month, and obviously had terrific scoring numbers. The thing that stood out to me as being a, the most important tangible difference when he was having his hot streak was that he was getting to the line a lot. Yeah. Um, like in that Laker game, I think it was 14 or 16 attempts. And against the Clippers, I think it was 10 or 12 attempts. And like his free throw attempt rate really skyrocketed during that stretch. Um, and in the past few games before all this happened, that really dropped again. And for Jason Tatum to be a top five to 10 player in the league, he's got to be getting to the line eight to 10 times a game, not four to five times a game. And that to me is the thing that I think will determine how good a player he is overall. Um, Not to say he's obviously doesn't, I'm not trying to say he stinks or anything. He's great, but you know, that's the difference between being 
I don't know, James Harden and Chris Middleton, say, right? I'm not even sure roughly off the top of my head what Chris Middleton's um, free throw attempts per game are. I'm going to look it up while I'm talking. But um, but like to me, that's the difference between being a, you know, a, an all-star player, a good player, you know, really, really good player, and being a, um, you know, being a guy that's a driver of, you know, right, like Chris Middleton's average basically four through free throw attempts a game a year. His career average is three. After his first couple of years, it's basically been four ever since. Right. So, you know, James Harden gets the line what, eight, ten times a game? So and Jason Tatum has every ability in theory to be able to be that kind of a guy. So for all the the, the step the step the side step three and the step back threes are great. And Jason's gotten his three point attempts way up from before, uh, which is a positive. But to me it's gonna be can he become a guy that gets to the line seven, eight, nine, ten times a game consistently, um, that's going to determine what his exact ceiling is. And that's also such an interesting development because it was an element of Tatum's game that actually changed from season one to season two. Season one, he got to the line a lot. That was one of the things I loved about his his profile, his shot profile, even when the th- you know he was making that ridiculous amount of threes and always thought that he wasn't going to be like a 40, I think it was 43% that year. 43% shooter, but if he could get to the line a bunch, and now he's actually his free throw attempt rate for the full season, much less in this stretch, as you talked about, where it's really been surging, that, that he's getting there. And for Boston, also, that he's been able to be there. What one of the key differentiators for me, and you brought up the, the Middleton-Harden thing in a different context, but it is an important kind of distinction in this too, which is, can you be the best offensive player or the most important offensive player on a successful offense? And there are a lot of great players who aren't that. It's not it's not a end all be all. And there are some mediocre players overall who can who can do that. That's just the way it works out. But Tatum, if he can change his spot within the pecking order on a competitive team, because that that is a huge step. Because yeah, you could be being the best offensive player on a bad team. That that's nice, but it's not nearly as good as being able to do it on a team that has lofty aspirations. Yeah, I mean, look, Kemba Walker, as great as he is, is six feet tall, right? Historically, if you look back at the teams that win, Isaiah Thomas is maybe the only guy that's led a team to a title as its best player at being that small, right? Chris Paul's obviously never got to a finals. Um, you just go back through the history of the league. Like, it's hard to be the best player on a team that wins if you're that small. You need, in theory, at least some bigger wing or center who could be your go-to guy, right? So the Celtics need, to your point before about internal growth, they need Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or someone to kind of grow into this kind of player. Um, And I think, uh, you know, I think we've seen that, um, I think we've seen Jason show some strides in terms of being able to do that. Um, But again, like he, I thought his season was a little overrated up until the past few weeks. Um, and I thought that in many ways, Jalen Brown might have actually been better and a more deserving all-star this year than him. Um, but he had a really good year, and especially considering he's 21. Um, and, uh, you know, I think his development, certainly the explosion in the last month, you know, in the way that Jalen and he have improved over the course of the year, um, you know, the Celtics should be feeling really good about the fact that they've got two young, really talented wings that they can, in theory, build around for probably the rest of this decade. I mean, that's that's something that, you know, every Celtic fan should be awfully excited about and the rest of the East should be less than thrilled about. There's a phrase used a lot by people in, in, in my line of this called team control. And what team control is about is basically how long, if a, if a team wants to retain a player, how long can they do that more unilaterally? And 
So that's the you know rookie scale contracts are the great example of that because rookie scale contracts you know they run for four years if you pick up all the options and then at that point you get match rights and there are only so many contracts that a team a player a player can sign offer sheet with a different team and while Boston is not at the front end of that with Tatum and Brown Brown has already has already agreed to his extension it will kick in next league year and Tatum will will be there soon enough. But that's still early enough that they still get a. They know that they, if they want to keep these guys together, they can for a long time. Yeah, no question. Um, you know, and that you know, look, if, if we look at where the league is right now, there's nothing more valuable to have than really strong wing play, right? And you know, having those two guys as the anchors to your team. Um, you know, look at everything that the Clippers did to get. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Now, I am not trying to say that these guys are going to be Paul George and Kawhi Leonard level players. They're still not there yet, right? But if they can keep growing on the path that they're on, like that's the you could two players on the wing like that are the foundation and can be the foundation of a championship level team. When you've got guys that are 22 and 21 or 23 and 21, whatever exactly their ages are, that you can have anchoring your roster for the next, you know, if it works out right for them, 10 years, uh, I think every team in the league would be happy to be in that situation. And the Celtics being well-positioned for the present and the future ties in pretty well with the the next team that I wanted to talk about, where you were when Wednesday happened, Milwaukee. The Bucks exceedingly well-positioned for the present, and then we had that uncertainty with their future. I mean, so the present, the Bucks were the best regular season team in the league, they, I thought the Eastern Conference was breaking really well for them. That while they're, I mean, I respect what the Celtics and the Raptors are doing, and Philly is Philly. They, to me, there was this idea to me that you have to, in order to beat the Bucks, you have to be well suited to, to kind of handling them on both ends of the floor. You have to be able to slow down their offense, and you also have to be able to score often by by threes or pull up shots, all that type of stuff. And that is, you know, obviously that is changing. We don't know exactly where things are going, but I mean, it, we we should just, it, independent of that, just take a second to appreciate just what a, kind of a season they were putting together. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, no question about it. I mean, and that 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 honestly is the thing that makes all this so frustrating, right? Like we we had so many things going on in the NBA that were so interesting to monitor. Um, whether it's the you know the, the young Grizzlies with John Morant taking off and the uh, you know Zion bursting onto the scene over the past six weeks, and you know the Phillies just complete insanity all year, and the Lakers and Clippers going back and forth in LA, and um, you know the Bucks rolling along, and uh, you know Victor Oladipo just got back. Uh, Steph Curry just got back. There's all this different stuff to to kind of focus on and look at. And, you know, it, I'm certainly going to do my best to to keep thinking about that stuff and trying to figure out what it's going to look like when the league comes back. And who knows, maybe this time off will allow guys like Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons to get healthy and come back and play in ways they maybe were not going to be able to otherwise. Um but yeah, it's just it's tough when you just think about all these different things we were excited about, and we would have spent this whole hour talking about instead of the second half of it. And now we have to kind of put it all on hold and you know wait to see um, you know wait to see we'll be able to do it again. Along those lines, over the last month plus, I'd gotten more into this idea. Nate and John talked about this well on their podcast a couple weeks ago about how the Bucks are answering the math problem that is NBA basketball in a different way. Basically, right? We had we had all been. Could, grown condition that three pointers are the are, are the key both offensively and defensively and and there are teams that have kind of been proof of concept there and in, in terms of, i mean the warriors in terms of shooting them and also they did a pretty good job with the three celtics have had some success there as well and milwaukee's bet partially 
with the talent they have and how Mike Budenholzer deployed them was that threes are great, but sealing off the rim, especially if you can take away shots at the basket and free throw attempts, like that double is, is extremely important here, that you can gain more that way than you can even if you have to give up some clean threes. And, I mean, Milwaukee, number one defense in the league at using cleaning the glasses filter – they're the number one defense in the league by almost four points per hundred possessions. And that's only one team that's there between them and 4.5 points per hundred possessions. That's the Lakers. The Lakers are actually, sorry, I, I forgot. So they're three points clear. I, I missed Toronto. Sorry, Toronto. Um, so still, that's a massive amount when you consider when you consider how much a point per possession usually is in, as a differentiator. And part of how the Bucks did it, I mean, they're not giving up shots around the rim. And their free th- opponent free throw attempt rate is sixth best. That's fantastic. And I, every team, successful team, creates copycats. And just like the, you know, some of the teams that took elements from the Warriors ended up not succeeding, I wonder which elements that Milwaukee is, is using will be replicable and which ones will just be, okay, if you can get Brook Lopez and you can get Giannis, this will work. And otherwise, good luck. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that you know, you're right about – and Nate and, and – uh, John did do a good job of laying this out. Like um, the thing that is overlooked about the way Milwaukee plays is that they do do such a, they are so relentless about trying to prevent you from uh, getting to the rim and, and especially fouling you. Right. Like that, like I do think, especially the fouling part is incredibly underrated uh, about their defense and that they just don't, they don't give up those free points. Like everybody talks about threes. Like you said, still the single best shot in the game is a dunk, right? Like if you could get a dunk, an open dunk, that's going to go in every, you know, virtually every time barring something weird, like the James Harden play against the Spurs, right? Like, you know, setting aside completely wacko circumstances like that, you're basically going to score in that 99% of the time. Uh, so the Bucks, the Bucks theory is like, Hey, you know, we're playing Boston, Shemi Ojale, not a very good three point shooter. We'll let Shemi Ojale shoot all day. Uh, we're playing the Toronto Raptors. Serge Ibaka's inconsistent. We'll let Serge Ibaka shoot all day. Serge Ibaka goes eight for 12 and we lose. We'll say, well, that's fine. The math didn't work in our favor today. Over the course of time, it will. And, you know, I think that I think that there is a lot to be learned from that from other teams and that, like, if you do just try to uh, make the worst players on the team take the best shots, where worst players on the other team take the best shots. Uh, that is a pretty good recipe for success, especially if you can keep guys off the line. I mean, like we just spent time talking about Jason Tatum, right? Um, you don't want to let guys get free points. Uh, but to your point, there aren't a lot of guys as big as Brooke Lopez uh, and as effective in that system. And there's no one like Giannis. And so I think the combination of those two things um, does make it difficult for other teams to uh, truly replicate, replicate um, what Milwaukee is doing because they just, it's, you know, and yeah, I think you have to throw Eric Bledsoe in there too at the top of the key. Like, you know, those are three outstanding defensive players, especially in the roles that they've been placed in. And I think it's just um, just going to be really difficult for a lot of teams to be able to have uh, the kind of personnel necessary to replicate the way that Bud is having them play. Couple other things with the Bucks that I think defensively that I think are worth noting. One is this is a parallel with the Raptors. I would say is that there, you can kind of go with two different elements in terms of defensive personnel that are important. One is how many positives can you have, and then the other one is how many 
neutral or non-negative players do you have in your rotation defensively? And like so with the Raptors, they had so many intelligent and good defenders that they were that they just there weren't weak points. And I think the Bucks have done a really good job of that as well. Yeah, I mean like Kyle Korver's a part of their rotation. Every once in a while Arisan Ilyasova makes some mistakes, but really just a lot of solid players. I mean that's the transition with George Hill being their second unit second unit point guard and you know they use Middleton sometimes in those minutes to to get some offense there just aren't that many weak links in the rotation I think that's really important and then the second one is so Dean Oliver has these four factors and four factors go offensively and defensively and so it's like you know shooting turnovers rebounding and and free throws and the Bucks are elite in three of the four because the the opponent shooting is 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 really weak because of the shots because they basically don't allow shots at the rim. Free throw attempt rate we just talked about. Also, because of kind of you think about the selection for players that can solve those two math problems, you also probably solve the defensive rebounding problem as well. So then all you're left with is turnovers and I mean that's it, it is important and theoretically maybe a differently emphasized team could do more there. But if you have three of the four on lock, you're gonna be really good. Yeah. I mean it's it's almost like the numbers tell the story right uh and uh yeah no i mean look it's um this is this is just kind of the advancement of uh you know information coming into the sport um in a way that it wasn't 10 years ago right like 10 years ago the four factors were like a groundbreaking thing right and now they're a general part of basketball discourse like when i started covering the nba in 2011 or 12 um, people use points per game all the time, right? Like offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency, like offensive defensive rating. Those were things that nobody even knew existed, or I should say nobody, but the vast majority of people were not aware of, right? Now, regular fans at home are aware of these things. Um, and I, I think all of that has just led to, um, you know, not only has it led to a lot more, a lot of teams shooting more threes and doing more stuff, but it's also led to, um, you know, the, the true realization that like, if you hone in on those things and really focus on them and drill them down, you know, if you can find a way to succeed in all, you know, in three or four of those, you're going to be really successful. And there's, there's really no disputing it at this point. The other kind of the last big picture thing I want to say about the Bucks is that it has been so fulfilling and affirming that a lot of times there's this idea that basketball has been oh it's solved or it's optimized or something else like you know that happened a little bit with the Warriors and yeah the Warriors had an insane amount of talent and they you know if they had stayed together and stayed healthy they would have been and they were a historic team but they would have stayed that way but the Bucks to me are a reminder that there are always ways to innovate and there are always and a part of that is also knowing what makes your players and what makes your team special and also seeking out players that you think can be tested concept I think the the, the spiritual parallel there might be Houston where they're going for a very different approach, but they wanted to embrace it fully, so they had to change around their personnel to get all the way there. Yeah, I mean, it's it. You know, I mean, you were joking about uh, Joe Prunty and Jason Kidd on on the pod with Nate uh, to listen to earlier today, and you know, look, like we've seen a lot of times where um, new coaches have come in and looked at what the talent that they had and said, okay, uh, we need to do these two or three things differently and we're going to be a lot better. Uh, look at Steve Kerr with the Warriors, right? I mean, they came in and looked at the, their passing numbers and were like, we don't pass the ball at all. If we move the ball, Clay is going to take off and Steph will get better, right? And so they institute, like, not exactly like groundbreaking changes to their team, 
And it turned the Warriors from being a very good team to a absolute juggernaut, right? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's everybody who thinks that we've reached, it's like everything else in life, right? When you think you've reached the end and something can't get better or can't be improved upon or can't change, uh, the vast majority of time you're going to be proven wrong. And there is a way to do something better. We just haven't thought of it yet. And whether it's uh, whether it's those Warriors, whether it's the, the Heat before them going small uh, with LeBron, whether it's uh, um, you know Mike D'Antoni going back to the, the Suns in 2004, Steve Nash uh, kind of igniting the you know the pace and space revolution and uh, running the spread pick and roll all the time, um, you know the Magic in the late 2000s bombing away with Stan Van Gundy and Rashard Lewis and Hito Turkoglu are all around Dwight Howard. Um, there's always going to be a new evolution and a new interesting thing. And, you know, I think the Bucks have done a lot of that stuff this year. And I'm sure whether it's Zion or somebody else, you know, sometime in the next couple of years, once we get back going here, um, there's going to be something else that comes along that, that changes things again. There always is. There always will be. And that's so exciting. It, it, it really is. And I, I think the, the thing that I want to end with this on is it ties in again with something Nate and I talked about. We were doing our we, – we did our Crystal Ball podcast where we looked two years forward, obviously. We didn't see this in the Crystal Ball podcast. Right. Before. But right. a part of it when we looked back at what we did two years ago, like I had this little segment I was uh, – where I, at the beginning I wrote like an introduction about what was going to change and what – you know. so some of that was about the free agents that had to decide and all that. And one of we noticed, I remember two years ago when we did that, there was this open question about who's going to take the mantle. And so there was the the you know the the then kind of getting closer to their late twenties group of right. Curry and Harden and Durant, and so they're going to age, and they're you know they'll still be really good because we you see that great players stay great for a long time if they can stay healthy, and. One of the big stories of this year is I think that young group is starting to take shape. It will get it will get new additions. Like that that is the way this works. More players, young players get better than get worse. But that could also with this stoppage however long it lasts. I'm wondering how that's going to fit into this. Where not they how much do these players get to work on their games? How much is it getting right physically? You know, like remember remember part of the rookie wall and all of that is Players have had to – they're playing so much longer, more demanding seasons than they have before. And you know, we still were more than 60 games in, so it's not like they're getting, getting away scot-free or anything like that. But I'm very interested in – especially for the young guys, but also every, all the people who had nagging injuries that were more deterioration-based rather than you, know, you have a turned ankle and that kind of stuff. And right. how how do how are the ripple effects of that that we might not see in two months or three months that we might see in two or three years? Those elements of this are going to be just important and fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you know, look, LeBron is thirty five, right? Uh, that whole crew behind him, whether it's Steph or Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook or James Harden or Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, like that crew that's been at the top of the league for a really long time they're all moving into their thirties and you know, everybody could say, well, guys are just going to be good for a really long time now. Well, look at all LeBron's contemporaries. They're all basically out of the league. Right. And it's really quite a long gap until that 2007, 2008 group with Durant and Westbrook and those guys and Curry, that's still in the position that they're in now. Um, but we are going to start to see a changing of the guard here soon. We do have Zion and John Morant coming in the league. We do have Luca and Trey in the league last year. We do have Giannis. We do have Joel Embiid. Um, you know, Ben Simmons is back is okay. We do have him. Like, 
you know, that crew, that, that crew of guys under 25, you know, you have Jason Tatum now is taking steps forward and Jalen Brown and that crew under 25 is starting to ascend. Right. And as we move into this new decade, um, those are the guys that as this decade moves along, will at some point, whether it's as soon as this year, say Giannis wins the, the championship this year or, you know, in the next year or two, they are going to start to take the stage from LeBron and those other guys. And the league is going to be about them. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting the way um, the way the, the way the draft classes kind of shook out in the middle of this decade, um, it kind of led to a trough. Right. And um, we didn't have a lot of new blood coming in at the top of the sport. And that was what made this year's all-star game interesting. You had, I think, nine or 10 first time all-stars. Right. And they were Luca, Trey, Pascal Siakam, um, you know, all these young, exciting guys. And that didn't include Zion and Ja, who are going to be right in that mix again, um, you know, starting next year, probably. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm really excited about like to your point, I'm really excited about that for the future um, because that's the stuff that's that's what makes it fun. Right. It makes it fun to see the new guys burst on the scene like you and you and Nate were talking about um, your favorite moments and like games from the past. Right. Like I'll never forget. I was home. I was at my house and uh, I didn't have cable. Um, and when I was in college, we didn't have cable at home. So I was at home and I was listening to um, the, the, I think it was game six of the 07 conference finals between the Cavs and the Pistons on the radio. And I was listening to the 48 special when LeBron scored, I think, 24 straight points to beat the Pistons and help get the Cavs to the finals. Maybe it's 2006. I don't remember which year the game was, but um, I was just going ballistic at home by myself listening to this game because I knew that this was a huge moment for LeBron and like he was going to start to really ascend. Um, those are the moments that are, you know, as a basketball fan, like those are the things you remember, right? You remember Warriors Thunder when the, the Warriors overcame the uh, overcame the Thunder in Game Six in Oklahoma City, and you remember. Uh, you know, the year before the Warriors that game three um, uh, or game four, I should say, when they were down two one in Memphis and it looked like they might lose and they came back and won. And um, you remember when Miami was down to Indiana and looked like they were in trouble and they came back and won. And, um, you know, it was just all those signpost moments throughout time. Like when you see these young teams really start to ascend that that's you kind of see the passing of the torch and it's, it's really neat to watch. And, um, you know, we, we have a lot of that coming up, I think. And I think this young group of players is really exciting. And, um, you know, I think as basketball fans, we, um, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun basketball ahead and it's tough right now to think about that when we don't know how long it's going to be before the thing we all really care about watching is back in our lives again on a daily basis, but it will be back at some point. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about what the future holds when we get a chance to get everybody back on the court and get going again. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Thanks so much for coming on and stay safe, my friend. You too, buddy. Thanks for having me and looking forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks again to Tim Bontemps for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at ESPN and you can follow him on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, T-I-M-B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S. Really did appreciate having him on. And as I said during the show, like we talked about doing the show on Wednesday and realized it might be better to wait a little bit. And I, I'm very happy that we did because we got a little bit of time, got a, got a lot more information and context around everything that's happening. And yeah, definitely keep an eye on, on the work that, that Tim is doing. The plan, barring the unforeseen, 
is that Real Jam Radio will continue on. I have plenty of ideas of how to do this show. Just like Dunked On, we're going to continue five times a week as long as listenership is there. So really do appreciate that if you can if you can do it. Hopefully people are looking for content, maybe even more so now than before. And so even without games, I already have next week lined up, and then I have a few ideas for the next few, and then always have more ideas that are uh, worth pursuing. So that's a great reason to support the show by subscribing, downloading every episode, and that will help advertisers tell tell advertisers that people are still listening and people still want to listen also word of mouth extremely important with this show and any others and leaving a positive rating whether it's apple Podcasts or wherever we do really appreciate it and then the single most important thing for the show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors for this episode that is bet online use the podcast one promo code for a 50 percent sign up bonus as i said real gm radio dunked on both continuing full speed ahead for as long as we can love doing it the live show stuff will be muted for now with with there not really being much live content though keep your eyes keep your eyes peeled on my twitter feed because there might be some opportunities and if nate and i can do it we absolutely will my writing will continue as long as the athletic is on board and i'm pretty confident that they will be based on our conversation so far so you can look for that in the near term i took a couple days other than the piece i wrote with john hollinger to you know get a sense of where everything is and but i have a lot of ideas that are either projects that i was already going to work on and other things that are still still pertinent that i'm i'm planning on doing however long this hiatus goes probably some free agency previews and all that because there will be free agency at some point if you have any feedback on the show good bad or indifferent daniel rue nba at gmail.com is the way to reach out to me if you take the time to write it i will take the time to read it i will respond if i can i don't make a promise there but i do promise to read it because i don't want you to waste your time and I mean, usually that's the, that's all the advice that I give with this, but be the best citizens you can be that not just for your family and friends and the people, your loved ones, but for the mo- most vulnerable that we have, because many of the people who, who listen to this show are, are less, are less risky and we're not going you know, even if we, even if we catch COVID-19, we're not as threatened by the most dire consequences but being a carrier being a vector for something like this is a is a huge problem and the more judicious we are even if you never get a parade even if you never know that the time that you took the effort that you took to be safer made a difference it did and that is that is what we can all do right now it's a a, a civic duty is the way that i'm thinking about it for wherever you are from your your city your country your school whatever it is be diligent wash your hands practice social distancing think about the actions that you're taking and how they might affect other people because that's that's what we owe to each other and i i hope i hope that I, my example for myself that I, that it carries through, and I hope that you all can be beacons within your community, however you define that term. And be safe. Take care of each other. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.